Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, my name's Nick, and uh, I'm one of the elders here uh, at Hope Church, and it's great to be here this morning with you all. I've had a wonderful time of worship, and this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 103. So if you could turn in your Bibles um, to Psalm 103, and I'm going to um, read it to you, to you all. And uh, it's been wonderful to worship Jesus and focus on the cross this morning. And I'm so thrilled because my sermon is all about the cross. And we're going to be finishing uh, our time this morning with communion um, and spending more time focusing on Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. So it's just really great to see God speaking to us through this already. So let's read Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions, our sins from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. So bless the Lord. O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word, of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's a wonderful psalm, isn't it? Incredible. So much there. Okay, well, a few years ago at work... um, my boss went to a, a funeral, and she went to a funeral of a friend of hers who was a humanist. Now, for those who don't know who, or who aren't aware, humanists believe that you have one life to live, and essentially that is it. And if you follow that belief through, they believe there's not God, and uh, they believe there's no life after death. And uh, my boss came back into the office crying her eyes out. And it was a little bit awkward, if I'm honest. (laughs) She was distraught. And I remember myself and some colleagues saying, "Are are you okay? What's going on? And she said, 
it was just so hopeless. It was just so hopeless. That's it. The person's gone. It was just so hopeless. And um, the famous humanist and uh, atheist philosopher, a man called Bertrand Russell, he said this, and I, I paraphrase it, but you get the gist. Man is the product of causes that had no idea of what they were achieving. His origin, his growth, his hopes, his fears, his loves, his beliefs are the outcome of the accidental bringing together of atoms. No heroism, no thought, no feeling can keep an individual life beyond the grave. All man's labours throughout the ages, all devotion, all inspiration, all human genius are destined for extinction when the solar system dies and all of man's achievements will be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. It's a bit depressing, isn't it? <laughs> He's basically saying, and this is what was reflected by my boss, we're an accident. Our existence, what makes us human, is total chance. One day we will die, the world will end, it will be extinct, and that's it. It means nothing. And we laugh, and you know it is depressing, and I made a joke of it. But the tragedy is, the sad thing is, is that this is the prevailing worldview in the West. And as we in the West and across the world try to erase the memory of our maker, as we try to fill that void with temporary things and ideas, it's no wonder that latest statistics show that one in five UK adults feel hopeless. It's no wonder that two in five, it gets worse as people get younger, two in five 18 to 24-year-olds feel hopeless. It's no wonder that 89% of 16 to 29-year-olds believe that their lives lack meaning and purpose. But it hasn't always been like this, has it? For millennia, man, mankind has known God's presence, has known that there is something more to life than what we see. And I love reading history books, and I like ancient history, one of those kind of boring, dusty people. And as I read these history books, um, I have to unpick this kind of humanist worldview that historians or archaeologists have either deliberately or inadvertently uh, picked up. There's a sense that ancient peoples who believed in God or believed in something higher, they were kind of ignorant. They were stupid. Well, the Bible talks about why humans search for something else, why we have a void, why we have a void that we want to fill, and why we know deep down that there is something more to life. In Ecclesiastes, the Bible says God has put eternity in man's hearts. Paul writes to the Roman church, and he says this, he says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We are without excuses as human beings because God has made his qualities known through his creation. And I think you have to be a very proud, 
a very stubborn or sadly very angry or just very distracted person not to be aware that there is God, that there is a God, not to be aware that there is more to life than this. And I can't speak for other people, but most of us in this room would know God's touch in our lives. We know the sense of his quiet voice and his presence when we spend time with him or the memory of the day that you became a Christian, I became a Christian, and I knew forgiveness, I knew freedom. Or the realisation when I sometimes lie in bed at night and I feel so fragile, and I think this could, you know, this could be my last breath. And, but I know God's presence, I know a sense of peace that he brings. God has made himself known to us as humans, and the real question is, is how do we respond to that? And Psalm 103 shows us that we do have purpose and that there is absolutely nothing random about our lives. There's nothing meaningless about our existence. The Earth may be one small planet in a solar system, one of 200 billion planets in our Milky Way, which is one of a trillion galaxies, but there's nothing unimportant about our planet. And in Psalm 103... We see, that we see how God has dealt with us as human beings. We see God's dealings with humankind. We see that God has made our planet the theatre in which his eternal purposes will be played out. We see that he's chosen to make us humans uniquely in his image. We see that he's chosen to relate to us quite differently from any other being or life form. We see that God's plan involves you and me. And David starts by saying, don't forget this. Don't forget this truth. We are here for a purpose, for a reason. I want to go through three things this morning that indicate how God has dealt and is dealing with us as human beings. And the first thing is that we needed saving. Now, when you think of the town of St. Albans, okay, what do you think about? don't know. Do you think about the shopping centre? Maybe. Has anyone been there? Anyone been to St Albans? Do you think about the football club? I don't even know if they've got a football club, to be honest. Do you, do you think about the Abbey? Well, when I think of St Albans, I think about a school trip that I went on to the Roman ruins. I think about a picnic in a park. I think about my friends falling into the pond in the, pit, in the park. I think about my teacher jumping in after him. And it was in the 80s where people had big flowing skirts, so all I can see is her skirt around her with her in the middle screaming at this boy. That's what I think of when I think of St. Albans. And in the end, some other people came and rescued. They're not still there. Okay, they're okay. My classmate was in trouble. He needed saving, and my teacher bravely jumped in. And the Bible is absolutely clear about the bleak state of humankind and, of, and how those that do, not need God, that do not know God need rescuing. The Bible is clear that we are, as humans, we are spiritually dead. We are blind. We are slaves to wrong desires. We are unable to say no. We're helpless, we're hopeless, we're missing out, we're lost. 
Why? Well, as a result of us as humans rejecting God and rejecting his ways. And if that's not enough, we know that God is just. We know that he's righteous. We know that he's perfect. We know that he hates sin. And therefore, he cannot and could not let sin go unpunished. Romans 1 verse 18 says this, The wrath of God, the anger of God, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their own wickedness. God has given mankind over to impurity, to dishonorable passions, to debased, wrong thinking, minds. And in effect, we bring bring judgment on ourselves. And if that isn't sad and depressing enough, the Bible is clear that a day will come when God will judge every human for what they have done, for their heart, attitude, their thoughts, their response to him, their response to others. And then the Bible is also clear how we can be saved. It says, and we read, that our sins can be forgiven and dealt with through a perfect blood sacrifice, a pure and sinless sacrifice that will save us from God's wrath. Well, how does that happen? And I'm deliberately laying it on thick here. Because the human race, us, if you don't know God, you, you need saving. If you do know God, we were in trouble. And we can try and ignore it, we can try and explain it away. But this is the reality. And as J.I. Packer puts it, humankind needed divine intervention. And the good news, and the good news is that we've been celebrating this morning, is that through Jesus, God did intervene. God himself has taken the initiative and has quenched his own wrath and anger against us. God put forward Jesus to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus, who is fully God, willingly puts himself forward to be that sacrifice for our sins. Jesus came to earth, he lived a sinless life, and he willingly died in our place. I'm going to read to you a bit from Isaiah 53 that I read this morning. And this explains it so beautifully. Let me read this to you. But he was pierced for our transgressions. This is Jesus. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Isn't that what we see in this world? And the Lord has laid, but the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. How did this take place? This incredible truth, how did it take place? It took place by God's grace, by God's mercy to us that we didn't deserve. It took place because God loves us. It took place because he loves the unlovely and the unlovable. How does this grace work? Well, it works, as Paul puts it in the book of Romans, in the Bible, it works through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Redemption means that we've been rescued because Jesus paid our ransom, as we've just read in Isaiah. Jesus paid the price that we 
should have paid. We deserve that punishment, but Jesus took it for us. And as John, one of Jesus' followers and disciples said, the true light, that's Jesus, that gives light to everyone, came into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. And we see that, don't we? People don't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own people did not receive him. The Jewish people at the time did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And this might be the first time you've heard this this morning. This might be the 10,000th time you've heard this this morning. But let's take David's advice and let's not forget it. And that is why I've spelt it out in simple terms this morning. Let's not forget what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And as we put our faith in Jesus, God has forgiven our iniquity. This is what David was celebrating. Our immoral behaviour, our our repugnant behaviour has been forgiven. God has redeemed us. He's rescued us from the pit. We heard that in that uh, bit about the psalm then. We've been rescued from the pit of our sin. God crowns you, crowns your life with his steadfast, ongoing love, with his mercy. It's incredible. It's incredible. And that is what we're celebrating this morning. The second thing that Psalm 103 shows us about God's dealing with mankind is that we're created for a loving relationship with God our Father. If the first bit isn't amazing enough, the second bit is that we are created to have a relationship with God. A few weeks ago, as a family, we watched a film about a special forces team. It's a true story, I think, <laughs> that went um, into Afghanistan to, uh, to kidnap a Taliban warlord. So it was four, four special forces soldiers, and uh, it all went horribly wrong. And uh, in the end, three of them were killed, and there was one survivor who was left um, on the run, bleeding, injured, lost, hunted, down, in trouble. And to his incredible, to his surprise, amazement, he was rescued by a local Pashtun village. And the Pashtuns have a code called the Pashtun Wali. Now, what that means is is that they will rescue, they will look after someone who's in need, whoever they are. And they took him in at great cost to themselves, you have to watch the film, until he was rescued. And through the film, you see that this soldier was saying, I just don't understand this. I don't understand why these people are doing this to me. He thought they they would just hand him over to the Taliban. And uh, he had preconceived ideas, he had prejudices, he had assumptions about these Afghan villagers that were all completely wrong. And in the same way, when we read and think about having a loving relationship with God our Father, we've got to be so careful not to bring our own assumptions and our own ideas to this relationship. God said to Isaiah, he said, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And here in Psalm 103, David celebrates this wonderful relationship that we now enter into with our Father, with God our Father. 
He reminds his readers who would have been familiar about the story of the Exodus, of how God appointed Moses and rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, how he, t- how he took them on a journey to a new land. And through this story, how we see God's character and how we see how God chooses to deal with his people even when they reject him, even when they turn away, even when they mess up. And this is how God deals with us today. And this is what David is saying. Look at that story and see God's character through it. Through my work in human resources, I've seen firsthand how humans hold on to grievances. They don't forgive. They keep disputes going. It keeps me in business. And Psalm 103 shows us that to those who love and fear him, this is not how God is. He's merciful. He's gracious. He doesn't keep his anger forever. And if anyone could or should keep his anger forever, it it should be God. His creation has rebelled against him, but he doesn't. As one writer put it, God, infinitely wronged, not only tempers his wrath, so, you know, decides to not give the full extent of his wrath, but he tempers justice as well. When our kids were young, we used to read a story to them called of a mother hare and a baby hare. I don't know if the book is still doing the circuit. Called, How Much Do You Love Me? And it's basically, do you love me as far as the moon? Do you love me as far as the stars? Yes, I, you know, and you, can, you see the picture. If you were to ask God this morning, how much do you love me? Well, the answer would be in what we see in Psalm 103. He doesn't repay us according to our immorality and sin. To those who fear him and put their trust in him, he loves us, he forgives us, and he not only does that, but he removes our sin as a stain and as a problem as far as the east is from the west. Think about that. How can you measure as far as the east is from the west? If I stand here, the east is there, the west is there, maybe... I'm measuring it if I stand there. Well, where does the measurement start? Hang on a moment, it started there. No, it starts here now. You can't measure it. It's impossible. That's the point. I didn't do a very good job of that, but you know what? I'm not a scientist, but you know what I mean. It's immeasurable. It's immeasurable. How can this be? How can this be? How can God remove our sin as far as the east is from the west? Well, through Jesus. Paul writes to Corinthians, he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin has been removed because Jesus exchanged our sin for his righteousness. Our sin has been removed because God made we are being made right in the sight of God. We are treated as righteous by God on account of what Jesus has done on the cross. This is wonderful truth, isn't it? And then we read these beautiful words in 103 where it says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. We're called into intimacy of family. We're we're looked after by a compassionate father. Put away thoughts of bad earthly fathers. Even the best earthly fathers don't compare to God's father heart to us. 
his compassion, his kindness, his understanding, his empathy. Even when we mess up, he shows us grace and restores us. Our earthly parents, if you're a parent this morning, it never ends. My daughter got married three weeks ago, and I've just, rather than you know, hand over the responsibility, I've gained another son. My parenting never ends. <laughs> and likewise, God's fathering of us Never ends. It started before the creation of the world when he decided on you. And it will go on and on for eternity. And we have peace. And peace isn't like a kind of carefree, skipping through the fields peace. <laughs> the peace of God is peace with God. It's the power to face and live with our own failings. It's the power, it's contentment in trouble. As Tom was preaching last week, this is peace, knowing that God is no longer against us, but is for us. And the third thing that Psalm 103 shows us is that we're created to enjoy eternity with God. I've climbed Mount Snowdon several times over the years. It's the highest peak in England and Wales. And um, most of the time when I've got to the top, it's been cloudy and rainy and you can't see a thing. You can just about see your sandwiches. But one day I did it and it was beautifully clear. And you could see the whole of North Wales. It was the best view of North Wales anywhere else in North Wales. <laughs> and in the same way, when we stand on the top of the truth of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we get a proper, we get an entire perspective of the truth about our reality and what is ours in Jesus. Why we are here. Why the world is in a mess. What God did about it. How our sin, our debt, our ransom was paid through Jesus. How when we put our faith in Jesus, we stand forgiven, loved, clean. How we are new people in relationship with God. The cross explains it all. It is the centre of all and is the answer to all of man's questions and wonderings. The cross is central. And because of the cross, we see reality present and we see reality future. Psalm 103, verse 19, reminds us that the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and rules over all. Jesus died, he rose again three days later, he defeated sin and death, and he ascended to heaven. And as Peter reminds us, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at, the God, is at God's right hand with angels, with authorities and powers in submission to, to him. And here we see the reality of what is going on in this world. Jesus is Lord over all. He's in control. He's in control of everything. He is Lord over all. And we get a glimpse of what is going on in the heavenlies in Psalm 103 at the end, where it says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. There are people, there are beings, there are heavenly beings praising God now. And we can get so distracted by earthly matters. We can get so pulled from pillar to post by things that consume us. But let's not forget, let's heed David's advice, let's not forget, as followers of Jesus, God has opened our eyes to reality. 
And as we worship God, and as we live our lives honouring and following Jesus, we join heavenly multitudes. We are not alone. We join brothers and sisters around the world, enjoying the love and the grace and the forgiveness that we receive now. But we also are looking forward to the day when this will carry on. Ephesians 5, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. It's the cross again, isn't it? Jesus gave himself up for the church to make us holy, to cleanse us through the water of his word and to present us to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. This is our future. This is what we can look forward to. Jesus is working on us, making us ready for his return. We are eternal people. And as famous words from Revelation, I love them and I always read them out and I'm going to read them out again. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. This is our future. This is heaven. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's our hope. This is our hope. And as it says in Corinthians, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, the light of the knowledge of this glory to come. And as we stand on the top of on the cross, on this amazing event, Jesus, that the light, the light of the knowledge of our glory to come fills us. It's only through Jesus that we have this knowledge of what is to come and we can look forward to that day. So how do we respond to this this morning? Well, Tom said last week that we should all read Romans 8 at least once a month and I would wholeheartedly agree with him. In Romans 8 verse 1, it says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've got a dog called Sydney. A year ago, he had an accident on the kitchen floor. I went down to feed him, and it was all, it was all going on. <laughs> and I told him off, and I chucked him out in the garden. And I said, you know, sorted it all out. And... Every day for the past year, whenever I go downstairs, I'm always the first down. Sydney rolls on his back to say sorry. <laughs> he hasn't understood the grace of God <laughs> or his master. He says sorry just in case. And is this how you see your relationship with God? When you come to him, do you just say sorry just in case? Or do you stand on what Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross. He has made you righteous. He has forgiven you. He has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. Are you living in fear and guilt and condemnation? If you are, then deal with that this morning. Paul writes in the book of Corinthians uh, to the Corinth church, he says, For Christ's love compels us. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. How does Christ's love compel us this morning? How does it compel you? How does it compel you with your understanding and your relationship with Jesus? How does it compel you with your understanding and your relationship with others? 
with your work colleagues, with our brothers and sisters in the church, with your family members. Those who have received and understood much grace show grace. Those who receive love show love. Those who have received forgiveness show forgiveness. And then Phil Moore writes this. He says, Your life is of great cosmic importance because the creator God has chosen to make you the object of his affections. How does that make you feel this morning? Your life is of great cosmic importance because God has chosen to make you the object of his affections. How does that truth sink in? If the band would like to come up. How does that truth sink in? Your life is of great cosmic importance. We're going to end this morning by, um, by just spending some time taking communion and spending time and thanking Jesus for what he has done. And, uh, you know, I've kind of tried to lay out the gospel to you this morning. I've laid out our state. I've laid out what Jesus has done for us. I've laid out our eternal hope. There is so much to be thankful to God about. I've laid out our relationship with God, what that means. There's so much to be thankful to God about. So what we're going to do is we're going to just um, have some music playing, and I would just love you to go into groups of twos and threes, and uh, there's some communion pots on your chairs or in the back of the chairs, and let's just spend some time thanking Jesus for what he has done for us, thanking God for the grace that he has shown us. Let's Spend some time just remembering the hope we have and the future that we can look forward to. I'm going to read these words to you from um, Corinthians. And then I'm just going to hand over to you, really, to just spend some time. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, if this, if this is the first you've heard this, or you're thinking, you know, what is this person really talking about? Then I would ask you to just go and talk to someone. Go and talk to a friend or someone who you came with or someone that you know and trust and just tell them, ask them, you know, what, what, is, what does this mean? Or if you feel that you, for the first time, would like to give your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know what, I know that I need you, then talk to that person and let them pray with you this morning. Don't, go, don't leave this room without dealing with this fundamental issue How will you respond to God this morning? I'm going to read these verses and then hand over to the worship team. So, do you want to play and we'll start? If you'd like to all stand, get into your groups, get the communion um, pots or whatever they're called ready, and then I'm going to read these verses to you. So, when he had given thanks he broke the bread and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this is the cup this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me Let's remember Jesus this morning. Let's remember, let's not forget God's benefits this morning. And let's spend some time thanking him.